Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We are excited tonight because we are concluding our series, Milk and Honey. And uh, for some of you, it's been like the entire time you've been at our youth. It's been, this is week number 18 of this series, Milk and Honey, which is pretty crazy. But um, we're talking about the whole Bible. So it's, I think it's pretty impressive that we've covered the, basically the entire Bible in 18 weeks. So it might feel like a long time, but we've been talking about the substance and the sweetness of the story of the Bible. And we've been, we summarized basically the story this way. It's in three movements, creation and commission, rebellion and redemption, and then new creation and commission. And Shane taught us last about the first part of the new creation and commission. Through faith in Jesus, we become a new spiritual creation in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but then through faith, we come alive to God. So we become a new creation. The Bible actually says that, that, that old things pass away and all things become new in Christ. And then we are commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the original creation goes back to Genesis. The the commission is to be fruitful and multiply, to reign and have dominion over the earth. The new commission is to then go into all the the world and preach the gospel so that people, all people, can be brought into the family of God. But there's a second part of the new creation and commission because the story isn't over with us going out uh, to make disciples, right? The book, the Bible doesn't close um, with Jesus saying, okay, go into all the world, preach the gospel, um, and then like that's it. He like rides off into the sunset. It says like the end in the script font, and then like that's just it. No, there's actually a lot more of the story that continues um, post-Jesus' ascension and through our commission. There's a promise of Christ's return and then a restoration to the original plan of God. Okay, so there's a promise in the New Testament um, that Christ will return and he will restore all things into his original plan. So we're going to talk about that um, tonight. So this is kind of where we're going, where we are now um, and then what we should expect. Sound good? All right. Now, there are a lot of things that we could talk about, and there are a lot of views when it comes to the end, or what the uh, sort of scholar word would be eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end, or the study of the end times. Um, and there's all sorts of views about it. I'm just going to rattle them off. There's premillennial and pre-trib rapture. There's amillennial and mid-return. There's post-mill, post-trib return. And, and there's all sorts of views about uh, the end, right? Like, what's going on? Yeah. All sorts of views, Christ is going to return, what's it going to look like, what's going to happen. Now, lots of views, and all of them are what we would consider orthodox, meaning it isn't a non-negotiable. Some things that are disagreed upon can be sort of summarized in a few ways. You could put it like this. There are things to die for, there's things to divide for, there's things to debate for, and then there's things to decide for. So when we're talking about the Bible, one of the things about the Bible is it's, it's a big concept. There's lots of ideas. And because of that, there's a lots of views on uh, sort of application from what the Bible teaches. Are you hearing me? So there are lots of views on the Bible about what, how you apply it. But there's non-negotiables, things that you die over. These are things that we can, we, we, this is what makes us a Christian, 
right? Things like the Trinity, things like uh, salvation through Christ, things like the resurrection, things like that. Those are like, that's what makes you a church. If you don't think that, you're not a church of Jesus Christ. So there's like the, the die for. We, this is our stake in the ground. Then there's some things that we would consider like divide for. Basically, there are things that's like, okay, you think that way, I think this way, and we both love Jesus, but we're, we're going to kind of go our two separate ways. Then there's things that we debate for, where we can all be a part of the church, the same body of Christ, and we just, we just disagree. Like, agree to disagree, we're going to keep showing up to the same fellowship, but we have different views on that. And then there's things that we just personally we decide about, okay? The reason I'm bringing that up is eschatology is really at uh, worst a divide for and at best a debate for. Like at worst, we'd be like, yeah, we have different views. We're going to go different ways. Um, But at best, it's probably like we just have different views on this. Whatever the case, here's how we're going to talk about this tonight, okay? Whatever the case, we know, everyone say we know that Christ will return. Say it with me. That Christ will return. Okay, that is a non-negotiable. That is a guarantee. Um, When or how or what or where, all of that is debatable. And the reason I'm saying it like that is because one of the things that becomes a problem for young Christians is when they're taught an exclusive view about something, Okay, this is the right way to view it. And then you maybe get out of your church. Maybe you go off to college and you get plugged into a church or you go off to college and you're in a classroom and they bring up different views on the one subject that you were told this is the non-negotiable. And then all of a sudden you begin to question the whole thing. Like, wait a second. If they said this was the fact and somebody else has given me a different view on it, maybe I can't believe any of it. And so what I just want to present, like on a, like on a charcuterie board, right? like here's the charcuterie, you guys know what that is? Here's the charcuterie board. Charcuterie, what? Char? Char, not the ch. It's a C-H? Is it a C-H? So it's like a C-H, but like how you would pronounce Shane's name. It's like the only two things. Charcuterie board and Shane with the, the C-H. Anyways, um... Uh, I'm just presenting it so that you guys are aware that it's there. Are you hearing me? Because my fear for you, and this is just me as your pastor that loves and cares about you. I don't want you to, to like grow up, go to a new church, or see something on TikTok that makes you question the whole thing when it's really just a little thing that we can talk about. You with me? Okay, so that's why that's sort of like my opening remarks. But we do know, whatever the case, that Christ will return. And the problem with a lot of the confusion is that it weakens people's anticipation for Christ's return. With a lot of the confusion about it, like a lot of the things that are said about, okay, what's going to happen when he comes back, it weakens people's anticipation or expectation of Christ's return. We're going to get into that. So my goal tonight is to help us live with an expectation of the return of Christ and uh, view it as our hope. So this is where we're going. This is my summary. The primary emphasis of the New Testament is faith, Christ's return, and our hope. Okay, the primary emphasis of the New Testament is faith, Christ's return, 
and our hope. That's where we're going, three parts. Point number one, faith. Okay, we are living in the in-between. The in-between of Christ's ascension and his return. Okay, the in-between. Now, it's been about 2,000 years of in-between. Jesus ascended, and he told his first followers, right? I'm coming back. In fact, we looked at it in the book of Acts last week. Christ ascended into heaven, and we're told that his early followers are standing there like thinking he's going like to do like a touchback. Like he's going to touch the throne real quick, and he's going to immediately come back. And they're like looking up like, okay, be any second now. And we're told that actually angelic beings had to come down and be like, hey, um, he actually, he's going to send his Holy Spirit and he wants you to wait in Jerusalem. So don't think he's coming back right this second. So there was, from the very first followers, he told, I'm coming back. And they lived with an expectation. Christ is going to return. Now we're living in the in-between, right? He hasn't come back. In fact, there's a whole book in 1 Thessalonians where, where the Apostle Paul is writing to people to tell them, you didn't miss the return of Christ. Because there was, there was followers of Jesus that thought they missed it. You haven't missed it. Okay, we're living in the in-between. And it's gone over for over 2,000 years. Many Christians, movements, and ideas have come and gone. All of them have lived with Christ's return as an anticipation, and yet no one has seen it. So one of the questions we have to talk about post the ascension of Christ, pre the return of Christ, is what happens to people uh, uh, that know Jesus in this time and die and those who don't know Jesus in this time and die? Because there's a promise of what Christ is going to do when he returns. So what happens in the meantime? A couple of things. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burned, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. Listen, that mortality may be swallowed up by life or by immortality. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us his spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident. Listen, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, right? So being here in the body means we're absent from the, the fullness of the presence of God. But listen, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, I'm going to say that again. To be absent from the body, he calls it this tent. This, this, uh, one of the guarantees of camping is that you're going to go home, right? It's one of the best things about camping. You're like, this is so fun. This isn't forever, though, right? Like, we're not living in this tent. Like, it's fun to do the whole fire and the, the cook over the, the charcoal. There's the charcoal. Um, like, do the whole thing. <laughs> but we get to go home afterwards, the, the promise of this verse is we're in a tent, this body, it's, it's not permanent. We have an expectation of, of a permanent home. To be absent from this body, this tent, is to be present with the Lord. And he says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, this is speaking to those, in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, is speaking specifically to those that have placed faith in Jesus. 
that have done exactly what Ella was talking about, accepted Jesus into their hearts, said, I believe that he is the Savior, and I invite him to come into my life, and I'm going to live my life to follow after him. And then when we receive Jesus, we are quickened to life. We were dead, and we come alive. We are sealed with the Spirit. Listen, and then we have a promise of God's eternal presence. To be absent from the body, this body, this earthly body, is then to be present with the Lord. When we breathe our last breath on earth, we breathe our first breath in God's presence. Now, it isn't a long trip. There isn't like an incubator stage over like, okay, absent from the body means wait a while to be in the presence of the Lord. There's one verse, you know, the, the, uh, the, when Jesus is on the cross, He's there on the center cross, and there's two criminals on his right and left. One's mocking him. The other pleads to him. He says, he, he says, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus turns to this guy, and he says, today. Everyone say today. Today you will be with me, he says, in paradise. Okay, today. You're going to die. That's what he's saying. You're dying on this cross. But at this day, today, <laughs> You will be with me, the presence of God, in paradise. To be absent from the body is immediately to be present with the Lord. In God's presence, listen to me, is God's character. So all of the good that we experience in the world right now is a shadow of all the good that is God. All of the good that we experience in the world right now is a shadow. It's like a, it's a, it's a fuzzy version. It's a blurry version of all of the good that is in God. So to be in God's presence is to experience the fullness of life that we were created to live and to experience all of God's good. It's the fullness of love. It's the fullness of relationship, of intimacy. It's the fullness of joy and satisfaction. It's the fullness of pleasure. It's the fullness of justice. In God's presence is the fullness of life. It's what we ache for. It's what we long for. It's, the, it's what we were created ultimately for. But on the other end, right, if he's speaking to believers and he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, on the other end, without faith in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be separate from the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be separate from the Lord. To be separate from the Lord means separation from all of God's character. Now, the Bible calls it a lot of different things. We read of outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth, Hades, lake of fire, destruction, and then just generally, hell. Regardless of the location, the general thing is that it is a separation from God, and very clearly that it is eternal conscience, conscious judgment for the rejection of Jesus. Okay? I know that seems like a, it's a very like scholarly sentence. I'm going to say it again for those in the back. Um, regardless of location, the general theme is that it is to reject Jesus, to be absent from the body, is to be separate from the Lord is a separation from God, and very clearly that it is eternal conscious judgment for, it's a punishment for, the rejection of Jesus. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches. 
To be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord in all of his goodness, all of his life, all of the joy, all of the promise. For those that reject Jesus and say, I'm good, I got this, my own good works or my, or, or my own life or what I'm into, I, I'm, I'm fine without him. So to be absent from the body is to be separate from the Lord and all of his goodness. The call then, listen to me, is to live a life of faith. Faith in Jesus for salvation and then walking by faith, not by sight. The call then, the, the reality of either eternal presence of God or the eternal separation from God should stir in us personally a faith in God and a desire to live by faith, and it should stir in us a desire to see other people come to know God so they can experience his goodness in his life. Before we get bent out of shape, out of the thought of the God would, would send people to hell or he would punish people, we need to understand a couple things. Because I think that's one thing that we're like, whoa, I thought God was love, why would he send people to hell? couple things. One, it was originally created for Satan and other rebellious heavenly beings, the idea of hell. And then secondly, it is just to punish evil. It has to be. For God to be just, he has to punish evil. Now, the, the, the miracle is that he poured out his judgment on Jesus so that when we're in Christ, we're hidden in Christ. So when God looks at you, and all of the good and all the perfection that Jesus did applies to you. You're covered. Man, I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm guiltless. I'm sinless. I'm, I'm set free. He who knew no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. Right? Are you with me? We're covered. But when we reject him, when we say no to him, then our guilt, our evil, what we've done, it's, we're on our own. And it is just. It, is, it has to be just for God to punish evil. Now, how he chooses to punish evil and why he does it the way that he does is God's justice, and it's his sovereignty, and it's his decision. He's God. I don't get to be like, that's not fair, God. Like, you're God. It's a miracle that I'm even breathing. It's a miracle that we're here. So we don't get to be like, God, that's not fair. <laughs> so the reality, what, what this should cause us to do is a deep desire of faith to walk with God and a deep desire to see other people know God, okay? That's, that's the in-between, right? That's what happens. So if you're like, what happens to me if I've placed faith in Jesus and, and he doesn't return in my lifetime? Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and all of his goodness, all of his life, all, of his, all that he promises. Amen? So faith in Jesus. Okay, the second thing that we're gonna talk about is the return of Christ. The return of Christ. The second coming of Christ, his first coming is what we're about to celebrate in Christmas, the incarnation, right? Here is Christ's arrival. The second coming of Christ, when he returns, is arguably the most written about subject in the whole Bible. One source says it like this. In the Old Testament, no less than 17, in the Old Testament, pre-Christ, no less than 17 books mention Christ's return, his second coming. In the New Testament, authors speak of it in 23 of the 27 books. Seven out of 10 chapters in the New Testament refer, uh, refer to his return. In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. Okay, think about that. 
One out of every 30 verses it mentions or talks or teaches that Christ will return. So we have to understand that the return of Christ is a big deal. It's a huge emphasis in the Bible. It's not something that's just like, oh man, the cross and the resurrection and then nothing else. No, no, it's the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return. All of it matters. He's coming back. He's going to return. But the Bible describes different events when Christ returns, some of which is he will establish his kingdom. Right? He will rule and reign with justice forever and ever on the earth. He will judge the living and the dead. The Bible speaks of two judgments, one for the believer, one for the non-believer. For the non-believer, all of their evil deeds will be judged and then punished. For the believer, all that they were, all of their faith and their faithfulness with what they've been given will then be judged. Were you faithful with what you were given? That's the judge. It's not like, are you guilty or are you innocent? You're innocent because of Jesus. You plead the blood, right? You're, you're, you're covered. Um, but then also, were you faithful? And it's not just for people that like are in church. Were you, I'm talking to you right now, okay? I'm talking to you. Were you faithful with what God gave you? Now, were you faithful to, to serve God, to love God, to love others, to use your giftings and your talents and your time and your ability to participate with God? The Bible makes it abundantly clear. We will stand before God as judge, and he will, he will then reward you based upon your faithfulness. Now, he won't punish you. You're already covered, but you will be rewarded based upon your faithfulness. So the simple question, have you been faithful? Are you being faithful with what God's given you? And then finally, when Christ returns, he will destroy Satan and all evil. Okay, he's already, uh, he's already defeated Satan, right? We're told that he's took the sting out of death. Right? He's defeated him, but now he, when he returns, he will destroy Satan and all evil. Now, the instruction to the church regarding the return of Christ is to live with an anticipation and with participation in his return. Okay, you guys with me? Am I, is this like too nerdy for you? Okay. Just, okay, thank you. Who said that? Appreciate you. All right, it's to live with an anticipation. means we're, we're, we're looking forward to it. We recognize it. We're, we're longing for it. It's just like Christmas is around the corner. We're anticipating it, right? Some of you, maybe you've asked for something and it's, there's like good indications that you're going to get it. And you're like, oh, I'm anticipating, right? It's coming. I asked for my, my birthday was uh, last week or whatever. And I asked for some swim fins uh, and for my wife. And uh, they got delivered to the front door. And like she was holding our baby. And I like, walked up and it's like it says like the brand on the box and stuff. And I'm like, my birthday present came. She's like, yeah, will you hide it in the other room? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I like hide my birth. So I anticipated like what I'm going to get. It's coming. I know it. There's anticipation. It's, it's going to happen. Right? So it's to live with anticipation, but then also participation in his return. Anticipation means to live in such a way that is aware of his return and that you, listen to me, he would find you living well. Okay, to live with an anticipation of Christ's return is that when he returns, he would find you living well. Now, it's not to be like, like, it's not like he's like to scare you. Like when you're doing something bad, and he's like peeking around the corner. 
and he's like to scare you, but rather that he would find you, simply that he would find you living well. It's like, man, I know he's coming. It's right around the corner, and, and I want to live within an anticipation, expectation. Christ is coming, and all of his goodness is to follow. Titus chapter 2 says it like this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, means aware, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says the anticipation means there's things we're not going to participate in. That's not for me. I'm called out of this. My citizenship is in heaven. Right? I'm not, I don't belong here. I'm, this tent is coming off. I'm going home. I'm not camping forever. I'm going to where I belong. So I'm living with an anticipation. So that stuff's not for me. I, I don't do that. I don't, I don't live that way. That's not for me. And instead, I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to do what honors God, what shows my love for him. But then also, in the re return of Christ, there's participation Participating means reaching people with the message of Jesus so that they can live with an anticipation. How do you participate in the return of Christ? Well, you live in such a way, you reach people with the message of Jesus so that they can anticipate. Listen to it like this, 2 Peter 3. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Like, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't returned yet. He says, don't forget something, okay? He's outside of our concept of time. So like one day is like 1,000 years, 1,000 years like a day. And then it says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't forget. He didn't get distracted with a different universe. He's not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness. But listen, is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then it goes on to say that we should look forward and hasten the day of the Lord. Look forward is anticipate. Hasten means, okay, if the point is he's long-suffering, that he doesn't want any to perish, what should we do? Well, we should see people come to relationship with Jesus. That's how we participate in the return of Christ. We see people come to know Jesus. He is returning, but he's long-suffering because there are still lost people. And aren't you thankful he didn't come right before you met him? <laughs> there's anticipation, but there's also participation. Okay, finally, you guys with me? It's our faith, there's Christ's return, and then point number three, our hope. This is really answers the question, why should we care about this stuff? Why, why does this matter to us today? This is Revelation chapter 21. Revelation is all about the return of Christ and the events, and uh, it's, it's pretty confusing and challenging. If you're interested in the book of Revelation, Pastor Jim uh, did a series called Step by Step, and in one message, he did a great overview of the book of Revelation. It's on our church website. So if you want to check out more of a deep dive into that stuff. But this is about the expectation of what's going to happen when he returns. Listen to this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, listen, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Remember our tabernacle message? God's desire is to dwell with his creation. Here it's happening in fullness. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write uh, these words, they're faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars uh, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we have this promise, this hope of Christ's return, and with him all of the new. He says, behold, I will make all things new. Now, all of the stuff concerning Christ's return should bring us great hope. I think because of maybe bad eschatology or dumb movies or book series or scary news headlines, we think that Christ's return or maybe heaven in general is going to be bad or boring. I think there's a misconception where it's like, earth is a lot of fun, like party in earth, because heaven's going to be really dull. But the promise isn't boring. <laughs> it is to restore all things that are wrong and broken, create a new heaven and earth, and allow us to enjoy God's good forever. Okay, so all of the good that we experience in life is a shadow of the glorious good that God has for us in eternity. And so the hope is that, man, all of the little taste that we have, like if you ever walked through like a food court and just gotten a sample, and you're like, that's pretty good. But you're like, I don't have any money, so I can't get the whole thing. Like life is like we're just getting a taste. It's like just a taste of the bourbon chicken. You're like, oh, man, I wish I could have a whole plate of that. <laughs> it's, just a, it's, just a, it's just a little bit. And there's the expectation that there's going to be the fullness of it, all of the good in God forever. And the future plans of God are designed to bring us great hope no matter what we experience today and great impact in our life today. It should bring us great hope. I heard it said, imagine two people are, are, are captured. They're, picture like wartime. And two people are captured and they're sent into like a prisoner of war camp. And there they are, they have to work. And the work environment is, is hard and it's hot and there isn't enough food and you don't get to sleep and this is your life. But it's for 10 years. They tell you that you're 10 years in this prison. And then after maybe six months or a year of working there, they came in and they tell, they tell one of the men, hey, just so you know, when you get out, get out of here, um, your wife and your family, they're all dead and your home is destroyed. And then imagine the other person, they say, hey, just so you know, when you get out of here in 10 years, um, your wife and your family are alive and your home is waiting for you. How do those two different realities change how you live and work in that environment? Your family's gone, your home is gone, you probably just begin to wither away. No, what, what am I doing? What am I living for? This is difficult, this is hard, I can't endure. The other person I can endure anything. 
I can work 10 years knowing the great hope that's to come. What I'm walking through, the difficulty that I'm going through, the loss or the pain or the confusion or or the loneliness, I know that at the end of this, there's a great hope. The promise of the follower of Jesus is that no matter what we walk through, no matter the difficulty or the dark days, there is a great hope, far greater than we could ever imagine, that's waiting for us in God's presence. And whether it's through our life here on earth coming to an end and we breathe our last breath here and we inhale the breath uh, oxygen in heaven and we're in God's presence or we get to experience that glorious day of Christ's return, whatever the case, it should cause us to live with a great hope. Man, there's, there, there's so much more than this. We are to live, listen to me, with faith today with an expectation and participation in the return of Christ and to live with a hope that God will punish evil, he will make all things new, and that he will live forever 